right, well, let's get started. So good morning. My name is Chad Frontier. If we haven't met yet, I'm an associate pastor here. And uh, thank you for joining us here at the park uh, on a windy Valentine's Day. But uh, if anyone just found out right now, you have until the end of the sermon to figure out what you're doing after this, you know. Which, how long is that, Ryan? How long is that? How long do they have to figure out what to do for Valentine's Day? 40 minutes? Hour? Was it? <laughs> yeah, all the guys looking to Ryan like, keep going. I'm trying to find, find trying to make a reservation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, well, hey, uh, thank you for joining us. A, a quick announcement, and then we're going to jump into our kind of worship reading for the day and then into the message. Uh, we are establishing a couple different, we've been calling them compassion ministries. And I want to highlight one um, this week. It is, it's called Food Finders. It's a food distribution uh, place, center. And so if you've seen in the news or if you've seen around um, of, of families in crisis during COVID through loss of job, whatever, if you've seen them go to those areas where they can drive up and they can get a box with food for their family for the week or whatever, this is where those boxes are coming from. Uh, so they are servicing food pickup sites and food banks throughout LA County, Orange County, and Riverside County. Um, and also I want to say if you are have been more cautious during this time, but you're trying to figure out how you can help in some way, um, this is for you. It was It's great. It's outdoors. Um, there were three of us there this past week and uh, just assembling boxes and packing them and sealing them up and putting them on a pallet. Um, it's real great. So um, anyways, consider being a part of that. I know for myself, um, like I said, it's just seeing in the news and watching and, and hearing about the, the, the statistics of how much some families are suffering and just kind of feeling a little bit useless, you know, of what, what have I been doing to, to help that? And so this was a great experience, a great experience for me to just go and say, uh, okay, I, I put a dent in it, you know. Um, we, we assembled three pallets for, you know, for families in need who will be getting this food. And it, it felt so good to be a part of it. It's three hours outdoors. It's, it's a great experience. So definitely consider that. If you're interested in that, you can go ahead and sign up on our website or app. And because of COVID, they're limiting only four volunteers at a time. Uh, and they kind of spread us out as well. But I was thinking if there's a, a family of three or four who says, we just want to take a Sunday by our, a Thursday by ourselves, that's awesome. Uh, so anyways, if you're interested, sign up for Food Finders on the website or app. And, uh, and then I'll connect with you about signing up for a specific week. But we are trying to commit that someone from Soundhouse will be there every Thursday, 9 to noon, uh, that they can begin to rely on us as, as part of the, the assembling of these boxes and shipping them out. Uh, besides that, I want to go into a little bit of a, a worship reading. You know, we've uh, been following our permit, city permit for the park, which says uh, no singing. Um, so we have just expanded our definition, uh, our, our understanding of the word worship. Um, you know, so much of what we consider worship in the scriptures uh, wasn't necessarily congregational singing. Some of it was poetry. Some of it was reflections by an individual. Um, and so we just kind of said, well, what is worship at its essence? And it's, it's anything that forces us to reflect on who God is, his nature, and who we are before him, our posture before him. So I want to do a reading today out of Psalms 143. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. If you don't, we always post the worship reading as well as any of the sermon notes on the, on the church app. Um, if you download the Soundhouse Church app, it should be pop up right at the top if you refresh it. Um, as well as the newsletter that gets emailed out every Sunday morning also has that information. So we're going to be reading Psalm 143, verse 5 through 10, and I'll be reading in the ESV translation. 143, verse 5 through 10. You know, I, before I read this, I was going to say, is uh, I, you've probably heard it in, in, when I pray, but I, I, I love reflecting on the dynamicness of God, that he is the God of the universe, and yet he's also the God of my life, my, that I have a relationship with him on such a small level as well, that he is vast, and yet he's also personal. And I felt like this psalm did a good job of highlighting that, that personal nature of God. Let's read this, verse 5 through 10. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. 
Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for I trust in you. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Like I said, it starts with that recognition of, of his vastness, of his, his power, his scope. Of I remember the days of old. I meditate on all the work that you have done, bigger than I can even fathom. And yet at the same time, he turns around and pleads with God that he leads him in his life. He gives him direction for how to live according to God's will. He's so vast, and yet at the same time, he's so personal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just read, you are the God of the universe. We can marvel at your works and see it across our city, our nation, and our whole planet. And yet at the same time, Lord, you are each of our personal Lord and Savior. We have relationship with you and can lean on you and can depend on you. So God, I pray that we experience that today. We, we see your vastness, and yet we understand that you are as accessible as ever. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you can take a second, uh, not getting up from your chairs, but just kind of turn around and say hello to someone around you. Um, community is what we're all about here. There we go. Good morning. Can you guys hear me okay with the wind? Man, it's so windy I can barely, uh, ba barely hear. I feel like I'm skydiving. <clears throat> I have in my notes the most important thing to mention right away. And I just wrote one name. I'm looking at you, Chuck and Tilly. Tom Brady. Thank you all for your prayers. For the Buccaneers and for Tom Brady, would you say now he deserves the greatest of all time, Chuck? He's the GOAT. Thank you. <laughs> Woo. Okay, I can move on from there. Happy Valentine's Day. We hope that you guys are doing good, and um, we just want to say thank you for being with us this morning, and even with the wind, even with it being a busy weekend, we're so glad that you came out and decided to be here, be a part of community, and experience what God's doing in our community. Yes, things are different now, but we're not going to let that stop us from being the church in our actions, and our gatherings, and then just our pursuit to know Christ more. And so I'm going to just jump right into this. I don't want to keep us here for a long time, uh, but Rick, let me know if I need to if you're going to take care of Jamie's, uh, think of some ideas. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, our series, we call it uh, Christian. It's based on the book of Ephesians. And this is just a very, we're taking a long time. We're taking our time to go through it, to do kind of an exhaustive study of the book of Ephesians. Um, some things I won't, I, I will read in a passage and I'll go through it um, and highlight it. Some things I won't. And I just, for me, really what stands out, what needs to be communicated, that's what I'll begin to communicate out of some of these passages. So each week we'll just go through, and there's just so much in Scripture that we don't, like, you know, we, we can just meditate on, we can just sit on, we can digest it, and, and we can really kind of cross-reference it to a lot of passages that we've read, things that we've experienced. And so we want to just do that today with Ephesians. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 3. And that's verses 1 through 13. If you have your phone, you can pull out the Bible app or Bible Hub app, whatever you use. You can use our app as well. All of my notes, like Chad said, are on our passages, or sorry, on our, our, um, on our app. And so everything I'm, I'm going to cover in detail are there. But if you're a note taker, I would recommend that you do that just for memory, recall, things like that. But you know, in this section we're going to cover, we're just ultimately with Ephesians, just looking at what does it look like 
right, to live as the people of God. And Paul is writing this letter at a very interesting time, and you need to know it. He's writing this letter while he's in a two-year imprisonment in Rome. And he's writing this to a people who are beginning to develop as a church in multiple areas around the city and region that he's writing to of Ephesus in ancient Rome. And he's writing to a people who are a mixture of people with Jewish people and then Gentile, meaning everyone else. And he's writing to them to encourage them about living and about what it looks like to live out the identity that God has given to them through the work of the cross. And so this is a very, very important letter. This letter is kind of like intro to all of the writings of Paul. I would say if you're going to read Romans, start with Ephesians, and it will begin kind of opening the door to some of the understandings of these deep, deep principles in the book of Romans. But if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I titled this message, I didn't want to be too, too, too uh, vague with it, but I think it states really what Paul's trying to get these people of Ephesus and these early churches to understand, and us today as well. And he's kind of going with this whole theme of all things are going to be new. And all things are new. Everything is changing. And he's going to then explain a little bit of that. But he has three things he says in this section of scripture in these verses. One thing you're going to see right away that Paul is communicating. Every believer needs to feel the same thing and have the same understanding. And even the same mindset as Paul. And it's this, is that he's telling these people in Ephesus. And all Gentiles, essentially, you are worth the risk. Now, you're going to hear this in what he starts out with. He's ultimately letting them know you're worth the risk to bring this good news to you. You're worth the risk while I'm in prison right now, essentially because of what Paul is preaching about the good news of the Gentiles. He's in prison and he's saying, you're worth it. We need more Pauls in the church. I'm not going to lie. I need to be more like Paul. I need to be inspired to be someone who's so bold, who sees that nothing's not worth the risk to reach to someone else to bring the good news. And Paul is deeply there. Ultimately, you know, we have, we have been given this, this gospel, and we're going to see it in this little section that I'm going to read. We've been given this gospel as stewards of its message. Man, when somebody lets you use their car, when they let you stay at their house, right? If you if you are someone who was Airbnb, like is that is that what you say? Airbnb, whatever it is, that you can see the difference between people who are stewards and not stewards of things. When you lend somebody something, you get it back much worse. They don't know how to steward things that's been given to them. When you see people who have relationships and they don't steward them, there's times that we all fall short of that, but we don't steward it. And he ultimately is saying. You've been given this message, and Paul's saying, I've been given this message because of God's stewardship. I'm going to steward what he's given to me, to you. And so it's inspirational, I think, to me. And let's read it, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and I'll break this down a little bit after I read this section. I, prisoner, uh, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace, that was given to me for you. How the mystery was uh, made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which was not made known by the sons of men or in other generations, as it has now been revealed to this his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now listen, Paul starts out right away, a prisoner of Christ. And I, I, I've never, I'm going to try to turn my back to the wind. I'll just talk to the young families. Hi guys. <laughs> Paul, Paul has really ultimately, is paying really what we would say close to the ultimate price and ultimately does pay the price for spreading the news news of the gospel, bringing freedom to captives. 
I've never faced imprisonment for my faith. I've never had been, been, been abused because of my faith. I've only had some words that's been said and some snickers. I don't know about you. I can't quite relate to this type of attitude Paul has because I haven't been put in those circumstances to, to, to have this attitude. I hope that I could. But you can see a deep commitment and a deep passion. But when he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ, this when he says this, it means two things. And he is stating two things at the same time. He is saying, one, even though I am, they think that I'm their prisoner, but I'm a prisoner to Christ. There's that mentality, you can see it in people who have been imprisoned for their faith or their beliefs, that you may put me behind bars, but I am free in my belief. You may actually think that I'm in chains, but I'm completely free because I'm, I'm in chains to Christ. Paul has this mentality, and it, Paul is really ultimately saying, I've bend the knee to Christ. I don't bend the knee to anyone else. The person who's imprisoned me, the leaders who've placed me there, or the emperor who ultimately holds the key. Paul bends the knee to Christ. So he says, I am a prisoner of Christ. Now Paul spends ultimately a total that we know of four years in prison. He does two two-year stints in prison. And this is his last stint in prison when he's writing this book in Romans, in Rome. And he'll be there for two years. But he's speaking about two things. Although what's happening physically, there's another reality about who he is. I was reading about this pastor in Pakistan. And, and he's the closest I could relate to a modern day Paul. He's a, he's a pastor of a small town. In Pakistan, there's about 2.5% of the population is Christian. And about 90-some percent of the population is Muslim. And so it's, it's a very, 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 very small minority of people. And it's not like it's an easy go for the people of Pakistan. And so this pastor, this Christian pastor, and he lives in a town with the people that he is doing church with and leading. And his name is Pastor Akbar. And when I was reading about it, it's because I was reading through a site of people who dedicated their lives to free Christians from imprisonment all around the world for, for religious persecution. And I, I absolutely love the organization. And when I saw his story, it happened just like this. He's pastor of his little community, but the police would come through and start to do shakedown, shakedowns based on religious beliefs. They would look for any kind of little infraction, and they would go and then get, arrest them and then put them through a horrible process of, of, of prosecuting them, putting them in prison, keeping them past their sentences and making it impossible for people to get them out of prison. And so he sees one of his, his congregants being harassed in the street, goes out and then says, listen, you cannot persecute these people because of their religious beliefs. And then so they arrest him for interfering with police business and then they put him in prison. He's still there. And they're, trying, they're putting his story out saying, please help us free him. So they kept him in prison for interrupting police business. He's in this jail cell, and they put him, and he happens to get with a few other Christians. It's 12 people in a very small prison cell. And he starts this process of eventually getting gatherings now, and, and, and they shared his personal diaries he's writing night by night. Of, I just had 12 people come and listen to the gospel. I've had... Then another one, 15 people rededicated their life or became believers for the first time. Another one, the guard is listening to our messages now. And then one of his last entries was, I now know what God has for me here in prison. And now he's having gatherings that they've allowed him to do because he's won a lot of favor. He has 100 people in his prison ultimately being able to come and gather and listen to messages. While his family's at home, he's stuck in prison with no end date, and he's there ministering. That, to me, I thought, wow, what would I be like in that situation? It's inspiring to me, and Paul is ultimately an inspiration to these people and letting them know, no, this, you're worth it. You're worth it. 
for me to be there. You're worth it for me to spread the gospel. Paul was doing a good thing and went to prison for it, okay? Just like this pastor Akbar was doing a good thing and went to prison for it. Do we have that resolve in us? I want to be like that. And that one part when it says, on your behalf, right? On the behalf of the Gentiles, Paul is ultimately saying, I'm here partially because of you. And not to blame. It's not a blame at all. Paul is saying, you're worth it. And it's on behalf of you. I started preaching this message in Jerusalem about Gentiles and about the gospel, and it's landed me here in Rome in prison. But you are worth it. You're worth it. And this part, when you read in there, when it talks about this mystery, that's really the theme of this whole little section. Paul is talking about there's a mystery that is being revealed and has been revealed, and I'm here to reveal it to you, Paul says. But this mystery is quite interesting. Mysteration of reality. It's what has been there is now seen by all, right? What is around us, what's been in the work, is now for everyone to see. And so Paul talks about this mystery, this unveiled reality of God's great plan for all of humanity. And really, it's a revelation to all in faith. This mystery becomes known. And what I love about what Paul is doing, and he's speaking to the people of Ephesus and ultimately the church, it's a liberation letter. It's, now listen, you do not have to be an elite to know how to live like the people of God. You do not have to be special to live like the people of God. You don't have to be the in to live like the people of God or to experience His promises. God's promises are for everyone. This is the mystery He's starting to speak of, that it's not for just some chosen. It's for all to know the mystery of God. You know, when I was young, a long time ago, there was something called the Nintendo and do you guys, if you remember, do you remember a game called Contra, right? Contra, if it, let me just not nerd out on you for a minute. Contra is an old school video game. Rick, I know that they only had rocks back in your day, but we got Nintendo. And, and the, the thing is with Contra is something happened that was amazing with this game Contra. And I remember when I heard about it. And it was, there's a cheat code to Contra. And it was... Only a few people knew it. And if you knew it, it was like, it was like kind of like a joke. When, when someone told you a joke, it was like, oh my gosh, tell me that joke again. I want to know the joke, right? It was learning something that no one knew. And I remember the cheat code. That, does anybody know? It was up, down, left, right, A, B, start, right? It then gave you unlimited lives in Contra. And I remember it was literally contraband almost because you had something very precious everybody wanted. And then they published it in a game gaming magazine, and then it became known to everyone. And everyone had the cheat code to Contra that you could never die in the game. I think it was like the first time ever. It's a little bit in the way Paul's doing. He's saying, listen, there was only a few who knew. There was only a few who experienced. And the mystery hadn't been known, but now it's public. Now I'm going public with this, and it will go worldwide. God had a plan to save this world. You know, his hidden reality is made public and it couldn't be solved through human intellect. You couldn't resolve what God was doing in your own thinking. You couldn't imagine in your own way. God says, no, 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 no. This is a spiritual work that's been revealed to you. When Paul says it's been revealed by the Spirit and it's been given to him. There's nothing Paul has figured out here. It was given to Paul to give to them. And at the end of the day, Paul would ultimately say, I would die to get you this information. I would die to make this public. I remember the, 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 the excitement when we were leaving Texas and this pastor who I really looked up to, uh, it was a mentor, and he had this very secret recipe that it was for salsa. He won all of our salsa awards like seven years in a row. It was very special. He kept it very secret and very tight. And we kept saying, we need that recipe. 
and he would make us a batch and then we'd get it and we treated it like it was so precious, right? It's like, no, 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 you're putting too much on the chip, you know, that type of salsa. And I'll never forget, before we left, he decided to share the secret recipe with us, probably because he knew he would never see us again and we were leaving Texas and we were going to take the secret with us, but he asked that, you know, we don't share it. And it, it's pretty crazy because that, to me, is a little bit like, man, Paul is saying, you have something so precious. You have something that, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been made known, but when I make it known to you, what do you treat it as, right? How precious do you see this? And Paul is building confidence and building identity into this early church saying, listen, you have something special. Do not cover it up like Jesus said, right? But th- this next part is interesting when it talks about how it's, it, um, where is it? It says, oh yeah, it has now been revealed. Now, when Paul says that, we think all of a sudden, boom, it just happened. But this journey of this revelation, of this mystery, started, what was it? Uh, I think 29 years earlier? And here we are at this point where Paul is trying to then begin to articulate through the Spirit what this mystery is and this beautiful thing that people can experience. And it started back 29 years prior to when Paul writes this letter to when Christ resurrected. 16 years later, They're having this argument in Acts chapter 15 in about 50 AD. And they're having this argument about whether Gentiles should be allowed to be a part of the the new covenant of Christ. And so there's an argument going on. Paul participates in this and ultimately one of the reasons why he's in prison. But here we are another 12 years later after that Acts chapter 15 debate on whether Gentiles can be included in this new covenant. Paul is saying, do you want to know what the mystery is? The mystery is is that you are. You are part of what God has done. God leveled the playing field. There are no more ups, higher ups. There are no more ins and a bunch of outs. God's redemption for the world is whole and holistically done by him. It's a pretty amazing thing that this, this mystery he's revealing, Paul's been working on for the last 15 years to begin to reveal it to the Gentiles in a way that they can follow and understand. The second section of this is in, starting in verse 6. Ultimately, what you're going to hear is Paul is saying, in the mystery that we're talking about, it's you. You were part of God's strategy. You were part of God's plan. You were worth the cross. You were worth it all. And when he's talking to them, he's talking to us. This covenant God made, he was, you were worth it. And you are this mystery. What we're going to see is that we're going to talk about the creator's heirs. Not just that you are saved, but that you are heirs. God's children, partakers of Christ's promise. And what does that mean? We need to look at it. Let's read verse 6. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, a calling Paul had particularly to do this a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the work of his power, meaning that God did this. Paul could not have done this on his own. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages, who created all things. Now, when Paul says that he's the least of all the saints, you have to know that this is not a humble brag, right? He's not, this isn't a fake humility. Paul is stating here, listen, there are these 12 disciples that follow Christ, 
And at the same time, while they're trying to spread the gospel, I'm trying to destroy the gospel pre-Christ. Paul had a decree in his hand. He was a zealous, zealous person. And he was going to destroy this infection called Christianity. And so he went after it and imprisoned people and separated families. And ultimately people were murdered under his watch. And so when Paul says, I'm the least of the saints, I think he ultimately is saying, listen, I'm just happy to be here. I, I love his mentality. He understands what it means to be part of a family. Right? He is just a humble guy who's happy to be there. But when, the, when he says this, that you Gentiles are heirs and you're members and you're partakers, right? It's such a really good thing to dig into because a lot of times I think people forget that um, Jesus is called the firstborn of many, which is, means us. So in God's family, Christ is the firstborn of many. Do you ever kind of wonder when you read that, what does that mean when I hear that? But really, ultimately, it... it, it when you read this, Paul is putting in order something that needs to happen. And, and that is Christ's position to the Father. He's the firstborn of many. And in ancient tradition, the firstborn had lots of rights and privileges. Typically, 50% of the inheritance went to the firstborn, right? The firstborn was ultimately the next leader of the family, if you will, had the most rights of the family. It was the most trusted in the family. The firstborn was very important. But it doesn't mean that the rest of the siblings were not heirs and partakers of the household. That they had the same identity of the family's name. It, but, but the most important thing about Jesus becoming firstborn and being titled that is that then Jews and Gentiles are just heirs, not the firstborn. Jews and Gentiles, no matter your race, no matter your uh, religious pedigree, no matter your history, amongst we're all just heirs. And it's a beautiful moment of equality amongst God's people that there is no hierarchy here. There's the firstborn and there's the rest of us. It's not a bad way to think about it. It keeps us from becoming arrogant in our faith. And it keeps us from trying to take the spot of Christ, who is the firstborn of many. And so Paul says that your heirs, your members, your partakers, right? We don't have to fight over the top position anymore. It's taken. The Gentiles and the Jews are co-inheritors. We are co-inheritors with each other. There's no reason to fight over anything of our inheritance or our position or our stature or status with God. We are co-inheritors. We're family we're seeing the same. It's so important, this language he's using, because for the Gentiles, they were very much an out people. And for the Jews reading this, it probably didn't go over so great because they were very used to something different. You know the story of the prodigal son, right? He's this wild kid who leaves, takes, the, takes an inheritance ahead of time that basically says, hey, dad, I want all of your money, which means that you're dead to me because if you died, I would get this, so I'm going to take it now. And I'm going to go squander it. I'm going to, I'm going to ruin my life. And I'm going to end up just being penniless, begging for scraps. He comes back. And you know the story. Because Jesus, when he's telling this parable, he's trying to paint a picture of the heart of God in his people. He comes back and he's shocked at the father's response because it's bringing him right into as an heir, a family member, a child. But the firstborn has a problem who's been there the whole time. And God says, no, 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 you've been here. You've been faithful. Don't get jealous of your brother. He doesn't deserve, he doesn't, he ultimately, I don't want to give him what he deserves. I want to get him, give him what I want for him. And it's just like that story where Christ becomes the firstborn now. There is no more uh, 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 Israel hierarchy over the Gentiles. There is just heirs. I think it's important because we could do this in church. We can go, well, I've been a Christian longer, so therefore, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so some people coming new into the church and becoming a believer can feel like a Gentile entering into the Christian faith where they feel like, I'm new to this. I don't belong. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. 
you have the same, same things. You're heirs, you're members, you're partakers. You're part of God's family now. You enjoy those privileges. And when he says in this passage to, to bring light to the plan, Paul is saying that, listen, I'm here just to unveil, to illuminate, to proclaim this decree of inclusion of God's family together. And when he says plan in that passage that we just read, the plan, it ultimately, better translated, would be God's strategy. This has been his strategy. And when you see it through that lens, you begin to look at almost the entirety of the Old Testament as this beautiful strategy that God has done for mankind. And the thing about strategy is we do a strategic plan for our church every single year. And what we do is we know generally the direction God wants to take us in. And we write those main things down, and then we get at least a general idea. And then what we do is we develop a bunch of action steps and items underneath each one. And then we develop a bunch of goals to make sure every one of those action steps accomplishes that objective that we want to do. And then what you experience, which you probably won't even realize what's gone behind all of that, is you'll experience like, hey, something feels different. Something's happening here. This thing just happened, and that was a really great thing that happened here. Or the church is feeling different in this way, but ultimately behind that plan that you're experiencing was a tremendous strategy. So what Paul is reminding them is that, listen, there's so much more to this, what you're going to experience. You must know that God has been intricately planning this throughout the history of the world. But there are many things that had to manifest and happen so you could experience what you're experiencing now, Gentiles. Don't take it for granted, is what he's saying. From Genesis 3 to John 1, there was a massive strategy and a plan God is not frivolous. God isn't just like, you know what would be a good idea? Um, Jesus on a cross, resurrection, boom, done. God's, God works. It's very intentional and all the way through intentional. Paul is saying, listen, God's, you've been on God's mind since the beginning. And I, I'm excited to tell you this mystery that is now revealed in your it. This plan connects us to God's family and where we lay down our earthly status and identity and we pick up heaven's identity, that we are all equal under Christ. If, if I were you, I would take just a moment this week and read through Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is an amazing chapter. It's worth the read because it stories the journey of faith and God's strategy. It does a beautiful job, the writer, of by faith, this happened by faith, and it goes through almost the entire history of Israel to this point now, ultimately saying God had a plan and a strategy, and by the way, that whole plan and strategy was executed through faith, and faithful people were a part of it. And so ultimately, it's, it's an amazing thing that Paul is revealing to them, and I hope we don't take it for granted in our own life and just assume that many, many, many things didn't have to take place for us to partake in this gift that God's given us. In this last section, Paul talks in here, and, it, and really ultimately, Paul is going to just, just straight up inform them, everything's changed, so you're going to have to. Everything about your life is now going to change, he's telling them. Everything, your spiritual identity, your status, your, your family membership, if you will, everything's changed. So you're going to have to change. If you act now in a way contrary to your identity, you will be acting as if you weren't yourself anymore. So who you are is now different. To act otherwise would be foolish. And so Paul is declaring, ultimately in this section here we're going to read, and this is the last couple of verses, that there's, he's declaring their mission, their mindset, and the majesty of God's plan. You're going to see it right here. Verse 10. And so that... Through the church, we're going to spend time on that in a second. The manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 12, 
in whom we have boldness. These are good words. Access with confidence through our faith in him. And then the conclusion being 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I'll just clarify that last statement. Um, This isn't about glorifying the Gentiles. That's not what that means. It's, it's, it, it, it's a celebration type of glory. It's from someone who is from death to life. And it's a glorious thing that happened through God's glory. And so that's what he's sharing in that last part. But let's, let's go through this first thing here when we talk about through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's kind of a weird term, heavenly places. We talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago, heavenly places. And there could be a dual meaning here, but I think particularly here, it's very specific to heavenly places, spiritual realms. And notice how the church is put into this sentence. So the church is, is playing a very key role to make known the wisdom of God in heavenly places. When I think about the church, we've always talked about the church as an embassy, which I love that. It's an embassy. And it's where God's people are trained up and raised up to go out and then be ambassadors, which meaning that we're stepping out to foreign ground because we live in heavenly ground, God's kingdom. And we're going into places that are foreign to our identity, our kingdom, if you will, that we're a part of. And we're sharing the gospel and presenting our culture, our ways and representing the ways of Christ. And so that's an ambassador. But I kind of think we can forget sometimes that not only is the church an embassy that raises up ambassadors, but the church is a spiritual outpost for God. It's ground taken in spiritual realms. And I don't want to get all spooky and kooky, but I'm just saying that there ground, it's a, a church is a spiritual outpost for God's work. There was dominion in spiritual realms taken in this world. There are influences that change human nature and, and, and really, I would say, lead people in ways that are destructive. There is a nature that's been out there through Genesis 2 or Genesis 3 that has been out there that had a spiritual dominion. And every church is an outpost, a spiritual outpost for God to declare to those realms, those elements that God owns this ground. It's an it's a amazing thing that we get to be a part of. A spiritual battle, if you will, and a proclamation. And Paul is saying, listen, through the church, God's wisdom in this mystery that's being revealed is going to shout to these spiritual realms that had dominion that they are losing. That God's church is here in the spiritual battle. Listen to Matthew 16, 18. And Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Speaking to Peter after Peter failed. Or sorry, in a moment. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is mentioned in this spiritual war. And I'm going to build my church. And hell will not prevail against it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We have a dual opportunity, a dual role as a church. We aren't just ambassadors. We're an outpost for God for spiritual warfare. Which means that we pray together. We pray for our culture. We pray against evil when we see it. We ourselves ask God, what should we do to be a part of that as ambassadors? But we have to know that every church established is a spiritual outpost to make change in the city and the area around them because there is a spiritual warfare going on. The church is ultimately a spiritual battle over dominion. And we get to set captives free and be a part of that. It's a great calling that we have as a church. These last three things, and we'll close. 
There's three words being used here we should really pay attention to. One is when he says this. He says, um, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through, uh, uh, through our faith in him. And everything is about faith. The whole story of what we believe is faith. The entire journey of the Bible is faith. Paul is writing this letter out of faith. I can't fact you with the Bible sometimes. I think I just have to say it's a faith thing. And he's asking these Gentiles to, in faith, trust that they have boldness, access to God, and that they have confidence in their standing with God. It's faith. The boldness means it's an unashamed, full of awe type of boldness. I don't think I recommend just for your sake, and, and not that God's worried about it, but just it's, it, it might be pointless to just boldly, brashly just tell God what you think of him and why you think of him, and why you don't care about him and argue with God all the time. I just don't know if that's necessarily going to be beneficial, but maybe if you need to process, it's okay. He, he can handle it. But that's not the type of boldness we're talking about. There's not an arrogance here. There's an awe. And an awe ultimately to be in the fact that we can boldly, confidently see God unveiled to us. The Bible says, come boldly before the throne. You know, in the Bible, if you read the few encounters people have with God himself, like Moses, it's not a great moment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, wow. It's like, I better cover my face. I'm going to die, right? There is a separation that happened that Christ made a way for us not to have anymore. There was a veil when you went to the temple that separated the Holy of Holies chamber where it was the footstool of God, the seat of God, if you will, on earth where heaven met earth and it was torn with Christ's resurrection. There's a boldness now. There's a separation gone. That's what that's talking about. And access is this personal access, direct access, and unhindered or restricted access to God. I still will have people come up who are believers and say, can you pray this for me to God? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those type of priests. You know, <laughs> I don't have to do that. But you don't have to have me do that. Uh, many, many times that's happened. And I'll just say, well, let's just pray and I'll be here with you listening to you while you pray because you have direct access to God. The Holy Spirit is directly working in you. Even when you read scripture, you have direct access to all of the wisdom of God, the Bible says, to hear and understand scripture and listen for his leading on it for your life. This access he's telling the Gentiles they have, and this last thing is the confidence. Don't second guess. So he's delivering something that's going to be very hard to walk out. This is two people groups blending in a way that did not blend. They had nothing in common. There was a massive separation, and there's a lot of hostility between the two. And, G and Paul is saying, listen, you're gonna, you, have, you have boldness with God. We're all in the same boat. They're, we're unified together. Christ is the head. And you're gonna have, you have to have confidence that you can confidently, confidently, um, uh, through Christ, or through our faith, you can have access with confidence. And so he says, don't second guess yourself. In Christ, it's that Christ lives in you is where the confidence should be placed. Not in your own will, your own ability. It's confidence that Christ is in you. So trust in that. Put your confidence there. Because you may not feel like it, Gentiles, when you're around the people who've been in covenant with God before. Long history understand all the workings and you're just going on the outside, I feel uncomfortable and I feel inadequate. And he's saying, no, 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 no. All confidence. You're co-heirs, right? Co-laborers, all ambassadors. You're, you're huddling together at God's spiritual outpost, fighting the works ultimately of the devil. Have confidence. Have boldness. You have access. And that message is just as much for us today as it is for those early Gentiles
beginning to integrate into a culture that is foreign to them. And there were many Jews who had to do the same thing, but they had no history, no context, and there was a lot of hostility. And they're moving forward, and Paul is moving them closer, and this is what the people of God look like. Better together, fulfilling God's great mystery, and a part of his strategy. And I'll just challenge you today as you walk out and, and go home today is that are we, are we participating actively in God's strategy? Are we participating actively as a part of an outpost, a part of a, 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 a cohort, if you will, a cadre of people fighting for what God wants? Are there, is there division amongst us? Because we have to cut that right out. Because ultimately God is saying, listen, we are called to be heirs, brothers, sisters together. There is no race no gender, the Bible lists them all. There's no, there's nothing but Christ at the end of the day. So let's pray and then we will wrap up. God, we love you so much. We thank you. Thank you, God, for um, just the ability to be here at the park and just to be able to, to gather together. And, and God, we pray for so many other churches that cannot do this right now. They're just not in this place. And God, thank you for that opportunity as a church to be able to to at least have these types of connections, God, and let us maximize these while we have them. And God, I just thank you, Lord, for just, um, even though it's not the same, we're a part of an embassy and we are ambassadors to you and we're a part of a spiritual outpost that you have placed here in this church townhouse, God, and we thank you for that. God, help us as we go out in our world that we have the same risk mentality Paul had that people are worth it every day, every day worth it to go and share the good news, the gospel, this mystery that's been revealed. And God, help us be a part of your strategy. Give us the ability, the willingness, the, the mindset of Paul that the strategy's worth it. The mystery revealed is worth it. And people are worth it. And God, we only do this through your power. We only do this through your grace. And we only do this, anything, because you dwell in us because of your deep, rich mercy and love and compassion. Help us never get arrogant, never get egotistical. That causes division and it destroys the body. God, help us be people of humility who are following you, who know Christ is the head, and that's all we need to know. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you for joining us today. Feel free to hang out, chat with people, and then we will see you next week. Happy Valentine's Day, and I hope you guys have a good one.